Welcome to the Broken Metatarsal. My name is Rich Williams. This is a brand new podcast from Planet Football, where we will begin by celebrating everything that Naughty's football had to offer. A decade of footballing brilliance, the battle of the buffet, and some very well-documented Broken Metatarsals. If you love that decade as much as we do, then you're in the right place. Joining me today, soon to be the happiest footballing podcaster in the whole of the UK, Stoke supporting Planet Football editor, Mark Holmes. I can barely contain myself. Try, at least, because <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. Uh, also, Leeds United fan and Planet Sport Deputy Editor Rob Conlon. Welcome, mate. Hello. This is just like an average shift in the office with Mark <laughs> desperately trying to talk to me about Ricardo Fuller. Well, his, his time has come. And a comedian whose location on his Twitter profile states in the Derby County Megastore. Yeah. Mark Smith is here. Yes, I am. And uh, I am. Both those things. <laughs> <laughs> just not located there, just at the moment. We're not recording this in the Derby County Megastore, probably not, worth saying. Not say. yet. Uh, Next well, series. Uh, welcome along to, to the, the podcast. For, very quickly, question, have you got any connection to metatarsals before we do that? Have you done it at any point or know anyone who has? No, um, I mean, I think it was just called a foot. Simple foot. And then, uh, you know, the game was changed by some high-profile metatarsal injuries. Has anyone really broken it that isn't a celebrity? Can a non-celebrity break a I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know when it's can. actually possible. Exclusive. We've had people suggest it on the podcast before, but maybe it was just their foot and they've been making it porkies. Who Absolutely. knows? Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and use the code TBMINDEX. TBM is in the broken metatarsal, uh, and uh, you can trade with a £500 money-back guarantee. New customers only, 18 plus. And thank you very much for rating and subscribing to the podcast and your lovely comments, which we are very, very grateful for. Right, each episode, we'll be digging into one element of the noughties, from the sublime to the ridiculous today. It's the brilliance of the Britannia, the fantastic footwork of Fuller, the winding up of Wenger, Tony Pulis's iconic headwear, the throwback to the throw-in. It's Stoke City's Delap of Honour. Played through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller scored for Stoke. Great ball from Liam Lawrence. Lovely bit of skill from Ricardo Fuller. And what about the finish? We see the Rory Delap long throw weapon. Short cross is in there. It's aimed at him. Beyond him, it's an own goal. And yet again, it's a Rory Delap throw that caused the problems. BT's the only target, he's got a header in, and he's in, we've got a goal for Stoke City. Oh, it's James Beattie, two in two for him, and Stoke City with ten men are ahead. Full up. He's done well to hold it up, and he now has found support in the shape of Lawrence. What a goal by Liam Lawrence! What a strike! And what a killer blow that could be to Hull City's bid to stay in the top flight. So there you go, Stoke City's uh, Delap of Honour, which originally was a working title for this podcast, but we couldn't come up with anything better. Made so we went with, so well done to Delap, making it into to the title there. Mark, you being the Stoke fan here with a big smile on your face right now, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of context as to what we're going to be talking about? You mentioned the comments there, we've literally been inundated with people saying, please, just can we do the Stoke podcast now? Because it's just it's the one we were the waiting for. The mailbag's been full. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, genuinely, I, I, I've said this in the past and I stand by it. I think Stoke, that first season in the Premier League, are one of the most spoken about newly promoted sides ever. Came up, rowed Arsene Wenger, the throw-ins, everybody was talking about it. Every single manager was asked about it in the press conference. People were, you know, the, the sun was sending out people to try and replicate Delat's throw We were big news <laughs> at throwing. Like, we had a guy write a piece for us who, who was a little bit younger than me and said, when he was at school, people would be doing all the skill moves. And then Delat came onto the scene and people were doing Delat's throw-ins in, in, in the playground. It's phenomenal. We were a big talking point that season. So, of course, we had to celebrate. What, what a beautiful image as well, just... Some children hurling a ball who can't do anything with their feet. But they now believe they've got a chance. Oh, and you know what? Already. <laughs> no, you know what? Because I, I actually later in the show, I will be, I think, possibly, potentially defending Rory Delap and Stoke. So don't write me off just yet. I, I think the thing is about Stoke. Stoke's an interesting one because Stoke were promoted with West Brom and, and Hull. And at the time, people expected them to go down. And this isn't a dig uh, at mark number two here, but they were expected to do a derby. Who'd, mm. who'd the season before, right, had mm. gone down with a little... I'm, so, I'm sorry, I can see in your eyes you're upset uh, about that, but that's what, that's what people I go, said. Everywhere brought up. <laughs> no, you're right. It, 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 you know what? If you're going to go down, be a record breaker. <laughs> that's what I say. Put your name on it. Own it. And that's what we did. You could be a record breaker with the most points tally to go down there, couldn't you? Hey, let's not get... <laughs> that's that's Semantics. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Uh, Stoke were... They were one of, those, one of those teams that people were saying... Yeah, they could do a derby. They could go out with a terrible amount of points. Yet, years later, we're still talking about, I mean, albeit because Mark's made us, <laughs> but we're still talking about the fact that they had this secret weapon, which was not just that, it was indicative of a playing style that those teams could not live with. Should we get into the, the lap throwing then? Because it seems like we're, froth- we to, we're frothing <laughs> at the bit to go there. So, Mark, in terms of a, a weapon to be used... I think at the time was looked at maybe as being slightly anti-football, but I, I look back on that now certainly and think, that's bloody great. It's like something so simple and no one could deal with it. I think that's how a lot of people look back on it. You know, at the time, if we were playing against you and we were scoring from a throw and it was you know the, the worst thing in the world, that is not football and, and the rest of it. But from neutrals, they loved it because all these great, Premier League defenders couldn't deal with just a ball chucked into the box. It was crazy, but they couldn't. Like in the Championship, when we come up, Delap used the throw-in, but nowhere near as much as he did in the Premier League. Well, that's because there was so many Championship centre-backs. It's their bread and butter. Their bread and butter was, oof, get it out of there. Exactly. So the most like prehistoric of tactics, just get it in the mixer. We used to do the clap like that. The sort of the, the precursor to the Icelandic cap, really. <laughs> like, just a build every time he had a throw in. And it wasn't even like it was the edge of the box throw. Like on the halfway line, sometimes he would chuck it in because Pulis narrowed the pitch and everything. So he could literally like be a, a foot into his into the opposition half and get a throw in into the box and send up the centre half. It's absolutely phenomenal. What a fun. It's like the Coliseum, just waiting for the thumb down or the thumb yeah. up when the clap's down. Just going, oh, seen Gomez, now the thumb's down. Actually. <laughs> uh, Rob, you're, you're a man who appreciates the beautiful side of football. So yes. where does the, the Rory Delap throw in? How does that sit with you? Well, I love it. I think maybe slightly for the novelty value, but I think what the thing with direct football, which maybe gets it gets so slaughtered by everyone, but actually, when it's done really well, it's just so fun because everyone tries to play the same way nowadays. They try to keep it nice and it makes it looks nice, keep things short. When actually, if you've just got a guy who can wang it in the box, it's really effective and it's really fun to watch. And just yeah. watching international class defenders on 100 grand a week not have a clue how to deal with this man just throwing a football <laughs> is just beautiful. Really. It, it always felt to me like you were watching FA Cup third round. Yeah. You know, we had Newport County against. Arsenal or whatever and there was always this element of 
I'm not sure what's going to happen here because this is an absolute leveller. You can be playing lovely stuff on a, on a carpet every week, but once you start playing against Stoke and that ball comes in and it's windy at the Britannia, that wind's swirling around, it is a leveller. And that is what I think makes football beautiful. There's still a, a, a goal at the end of it, and that is to score more than your opponent and to keep out ones at your end. And it turns out that there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And we Stoke were, we, picked we were, this way of chucking a ball in. But we were having like a chance every two minutes. Unbelievable. <laughs> I absolutely stand by it. I love it. I love it. I could take a lot of that negatively, but we absolutely bought into that was against the world mentality that everybody we were playing against hated it and, oh, it's anti-football and it's not what we want to see and the, the world's biggest football station and the rest of it. But that just played into our hands because it just made us want to do it more. Genuinely never seen you this animated. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, nowhere near as animated as this about talking about a throw-in. And we haven't even started talking about full. Just <laughs> we'll wait. That. Just we'll wait. I mean, this, is, this is Mark's Woodstock. This is, this is, this is <laughs> forever. This is it. My, my favourite thing about that whole thing was the, the emergence of the towel boy instead of the ball boy. Yeah. Where suddenly <laughs> ball boys had a towel. It was sort of like, if you were asked before the game, do you want to be a ball boy today or a towel boy? You've got more chance of being match of the day and showing mum and dad later if you're the towel boy haven't you well again like you talk about the fun factor and there's just so many hilarious moments like it started off with a towel and the boy boy would present it to Rory Delap, but then wouldn't give it to the, you know to the other guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> taking the throw in sometimes you get players like warming up for the other team who'd get the towel and like throw it into the stands like get rid of it and pantomime is fun exactly it's just adding a bit of humour to football and it was just great and eventually people started to kick off about it so much that Roy Delap had a specially made shirt that basically had a <laughs> toweled undershirt so we didn't need the towel and no one else could make use of this towel but he had an undershirt and he just spent like it was like Jack Leach but 10 years ago, yeah. like toweling the ball for and five minutes. And I guarantee minutes. that it was Tony Poulis who sewed that towel. Yeah. For the show <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Could you get that replica in the store? Or uh, <laughs> they didn't have that. You can, get the, uh, you can get the regular fit, you can get the uh, the skinny fit, or you can get the towel fit. Which one would you like? Well, the towel fit, of course, because... <laughs> Absolutely, every time. But it was this kind of weird thing that we hadn't seen before. I wonder how Rory Delap looks back on that you know at the time do you, do you reckon he'd take an extra few seconds with the towel just he probably love the limelight of it definitely yeah. I used to do the, the the press conferences that season and used to ask him about it like are you a bit pissed off that this is all anyone's talking about because he started that season really well and was a fantastic player for us like when I talk about our best ever team that I've seen he would be in it and I'm not talking about the throw-ins absolutely this, 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 this gets overlooked a lot he was an excellent footballer he we was. had him at Derby for a few years and he was we knew he had a long throw but it was never the same thing, never into the box like that. But he was there as a footballer and he was a really, really good player. And he I was. wonder if he now looks back at it, he probably thinks it's great and he was a rock star for yeah. a bit. But if he thinks, you're forgetting about me as a player rather than, I I'm now just this figure of fun who could launch a football. Well, certainly at the time he didn't seem to mind because I asked him about it. He said, look, if it's creating goals and people are writing about me, great, you know, I'm happy. I, my teammates kind of know what I'm doing, the fans know what I'm doing. So if that's what they want to talk about, fine. But it was what literally everyone was talking about when I was going to his press conference every week the throne, the throne, the throne that was it I think you've, you've touched on something which is key there amongst all this and without stating the obvious it did create goals it's almost calamitous it's yeah. this ball gets launched in and like you said Rob earlier about these defenders that should be able to deal with a throw in that can't they're all over the place it's a little flick on someone nods it in there's, there's one goal it's towards the start of the season where one of your players basically falls over and like knees it in yeah. or something from one of the, the Oliver and Jana one that's the right is yeah, that, is that, Arsenal there are just some great goals there but which ones stand out for you um, you're right it was it was like Keystone Cops the thing that a lot of keepers used to do 
is forget that if nobody touched it and it went in, it wasn't a goal. But they were just so determined to get something on it. I think it was Tim Howard who like punched yeah, one into yeah, his own yeah. net or something because they're just determined to get something on it. And uh, you mentioned he sounds it. like the kind of player that would be like, "I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get my fist on this regardless." Whatever. Well, exactly. There was, a, there was a few keepers who, who took that approach. Another, like the first uh, win um, in the Premier League at home to Villa was like a last minute or stoppage time winner from a Mama Sadibi back header off a Dalap throw into that. All, sorry, all these words are absolutely <laughs> beautiful. These are beautiful nostalgic <laughs> words for me. I'm so into this. Yeah. <laughs> I just, on that point, I have to say this in public. I will never ever forgive my best mate. On the morning of that game, we'd been out the night before, so I was feeling a bit leery, a bit confident. I said, I just fancy a 3-2 today. I'm going to have a tenner on it. And he convinced me to only put a quid on it. And it was 145 to 1. And I was like, what? living over in Manchester, going out all the time. That would have done me for a couple of years, Tom, until you, <laughs> taught, until you taught me out of it. Just for the purposes of, of clarification, this podcast is not a platform for you to settle all bets <laughs> with your mates and you falling out I with dis- I disagree. I think <laughs> anyone disagree. else like to raise anything it's else? absolutely the platform. <laughs> but the, the, talking about the thrones and the calamities and all that kind of thing, the one that we've just got to talk about is Jorelio Gomez, Tottenham, because he took that approach, right, I'm going to punch every ball that comes into the box there. Unfortunately, you know, ball head, who cares? I'm going to punch something. Punch something round. Yeah. <laughs> So I, th- I can't remember, and I was looking for the match reports to see. I'm sure he punched two separate players in that <laughs> game in the head. Chor Luca went off with quite a serious injury after he'd collided with Gomez just going for it. <laughs> Gomez ended up crying on the pitch because he'd taken he'd, he'd been like taking painkillers for a rib injury or something, and he just got a massive knee in the in the rib. So he's crying on the pitch. Spurs had two plays sent off that day. Oh Ridiculous I, scenes week after week. I was looking at the notes on the sheet then and, and reading all those events, and I was like, this can't be from the same game. This is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. So it's season ridic- best of. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like it's, it is a compilation video that like Nick Hancock presents or something <laughs> in one game. Well, that's it. Like people think that Stoke was boring in that game. So Spurs had two plays sent off. Stoke had two penalties. One like hit both posts. And then Delap hit the ball of the rebound. It was just like absolutely brilliant football. How can you not like that? It's right, right, mate. Calm down. <laughs> Flipping heck. But people really didn't know what to make of this, though. I, I might be misremembering this, but that every other week match of the day would do quite a detailed analysis of this. <laughs> yeah, they would. And they'd show you the arc. Yeah. And I think they showed you like the pace of the ball yeah, going yeah, yeah. in and how flat it was and the angle, the launch angle. For, for me, that was sort of naughty's football was was that was Ian Wright talking about Rory Delap's throw. <laughs> yeah. um, but Delap, I mean, he used to throw javelin as a kid, right? This is where yeah, his yeah. long yeah, throwing right. came from. But it was all about the changing, and I guess this is credit to Pulis, which is actually, wait a minute, you can throw it the same distance, but just take the arc out of yeah, it yeah. and just fire it in a little bit more, and we've suddenly got something that's totally different. So it wasn't like, as you'd said earlier, he just discovered that he'd got it. It was about how they used it, how they changed it to their best advantage. Definitely, loads of players have had long throws over the years. Dave and, Andy Leg, Andy Leg, absolutely. Was it the Chelsea player Hutchinson who they scored in the FA Cup final in the seventies from a long throw? You know, it goes way back, but no one had ever been able to do it like Delap. Just the flatness of it and the speed of it. So it literally just needed one touch. And the thing about Stoke that was different to other teams who had a long throw was that they had like eight players who were amazing in the end with six foot four. So yep. they're chucking it in, and the defenders are thinking, "Who the hell am I going to mark here?" Because it's like eight giants coming up me trying but to you've also it. got the environment which was you had the wind coming in on all four sides yeah so your home form that particular season was outstanding but your away form was was not well, it was not yeah <laughs> no absolutely yeah we like i said we bought into it i think um 
one of the, the, the broadsheets re- referred to it as the bear pit. Now, one of our fan channels is still called the bear pit to this day. Every point even just felt like a massive win. So, yeah, of course we were getting behind the throwing and the long balls and everything else. Gareth Southgate um, was speaking about the throwing. Don't know whether you've seen this quote, but when he was at Borough talking about preparing for Delap and Stoke, and I just love the honesty about this. He said, I had one of the young lads taking uh, long throw-ins in training, but he couldn't throw it far enough from the touchline, so we brought him in a few yards so we could get the ball into the box. <laughs> which I just thought was great, which just shows that actually to be able to do that, although we joke it's just a throwing, but not many players could actually do it with that kind of accuracy. Well, the funny thing was how people, how clubs were trying to deal with it in different ways. They said, okay, our defenders aren't going to deal with it, so we've got to stop Delap. So some of the teams, I remember Burnley, I think West Ham did it, moved the advertising hoardings or added advertising hoardings close to the pitch so he couldn't get a run-up. Dean Windass got booked for like dancing, star jumps in front of Delap because he was a sub and he's trying to put him It's just ridiculous, but how much fun, it's hilarious. I think that's the thing, because the Premier League is so uber serious and, and it's just like the biggest thing in the world. But then to have that element of pantomime, We've got people wearing towels on the shirts and you've got mascots. <laughs> it's just wonderful shit out of it all around and it's just brilliant. But what, why is this not happening anymore? Is it because it's such a scarce resource to have someone with this sort of throw? Because I think Premier League footballers now, defenders now, would have even less of a clue how to deal with this. So why is it not being utilised again? I, I think it's probably what you said. I think I don't think many players can do it yeah. as consistently as, and by the way, if you bollocks it up, you're going to look like a right twat, aren't you? So yeah. I don't think many can I do it. Ram player in the, <laughs> the World Cup. Remember that? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you don't want to be doing that. So I think it's probably down to credit to Delap that he was so bloody good at it. Yeah, because the, the pace and the, the launch angle, fine. But the accuracy as well, was it was an unbelievable weapon. And I do, I do wonder if there are scouts out there still looking for that next Rory Delap. Well, <laughs> well, clubs have throwing coaches now, don't they? Liverpool yeah. have hired that guy. And I think we've got an interview with we him. We have. And... Uh, it's such a small part of the game, but you can't coach that. It's such a natural, God-given talent that, you know, you can't find the next Rory Delap. And you were saying against the big boys, they were the ones that really struggled, which kind of brings us nicely onto one of the most unlikely rivalries of the noughties. You wouldn't necessarily think Stoke and Arsenal were going to be a big rivalry. You'd just think Arsenal are going to beat Stoke a lot. Yeah. But it didn't quite work out that way, did it? Wenger, not a happy bunny. Not a happy bunny. No, it's interesting you say that because I was bred to not like Arsenal because it goes back to the 70s with some FA Cup finals which I've definitely regaled Rob about in the past yeah. like a ice cream seller getting given offside for a goal that should have stood you know we're not bitter at all but that has been so I wouldn't know because we beat them in the 72 Cup final <laughs> you did so, yeah uh, you did, you so that's, did. Your, that's your problem but he did it two years in a row and there's all sorts of problems you know so when we had the chance to play Arsenal because you know we've not been in the league for 23 years it's a long time there's some old scores to settle I think and uh, and yeah like you say Arsenal <laughs> we're just the ones that stood for everything that we didn't really at that time. And the throwing in particular, was they just couldn't handle with it. So in the first game against Arsenal, we beat them 2-1. Fuller, I think, was very early on ahead of him with a lap throwing. And then later on, you mentioned it, Rich, Olofanyana. He kind of like chested it down, a throwing, and then like necked it in almost. Just over. It's just, again, just comedy. You cannot put a price on comedy like that. I think there's something nice about... Um how spoilt Brattishly, if that's a way of putting it, that Arsene Wenger behaved about the whole thing. Oh, he spat his dummy out, didn't he? Totally spat his dummy out. You can have a, you know, you can play like that. The the way Stoke chose to play was the way Stoke chose to play. And actually, it was just someone had found a way to disturb and mess up Arsene Wenger's plan and how he wanted to play and the way that he saw football should be. Yeah, yeah. But this is football. This is football. You can do whatever you want to do within the rules. It might not be pretty, but it's, if it's effective, then just absolutely do it. What I like most about the Stoke and Arsenal thing was sort of 15 years before this season, there was a big sort of uh, re-emergence of buddy cop films in Hollywood. 
where you'd have one guy who was sort of sophisticated and slick. Is that us? Well, let's wait. And then the other side would be just sort of this slovenly, overweight slob with a, lo- with, with a long, long throw-in. And that's what it felt like with this. And it was always a, such an... I loved this rivalry. I always thought it was just brilliant. Arsenal against Stoke was perfect. It's brilliant that you mentioned within the rules there because Wenger hated it so much that he actually petitioned for the rules to be changed. He wanted to get rid of throw-ins, wasn't he? He wanted to get rid of throw-ins. He said, the rule I would change would be to play throw-ins by foot. Why not? I think it would make the game quicker. And he said, take, for example, at Stoke Roy, it's like kicking the ball. It's a little bit of an unfair advantage. Well, Arson, I would say it's an unfair advantage. You have £100 million worth of players in your team. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, my favourite part of this podcast so far has been Mark getting really excited and then um, uh, you, you Mark, putting him in his place. That that was was excellent. And describing the team as slovenly. (laughs) Suggesting that that Stoke can't use throw-ins anymore, it's like, well, Jerry Henry, you can do what you want, but you can't use your right foot. Yeah. Because that's unfair. What are you exactly. talking about? This is just what, this is God's given gift and you can do what you want with it. But again, we loved it. One of the other, in fact, it was against, I think it was against Spurs that Wenger was just talking about Stoke. That's how much we were getting spoken about. And he referred to us as a rugby team. So, of course, the next game, all the Stoke fans singing Swing Low Sweet Chariot. There was another game when he was gesticulating on the sidelines. So, of course, all the Stoke fans behind him are copying him. Let's all do the Wenger. And, the, and it got so bad that one season he refused to come out of his dugout for the entire game, just sat down. Just He, he wouldn't give the Stoke fans the satisfaction of giving him anything to like, That's when you know off. you've got under someone's big, <laughs> exactly, big dugout yeah. coat. That's when you know you've done. Well, look, lots more on the way, uh, including uh, more from that Stoke era and the legacy, which will involve a headbutt at one point and a slapping of a captain. But first, here's what happened when we caught up with a player who was in and amongst it at the time, the brilliant Danny Higginbottom. How you doing? You're right. I'm good, thanks, Rich. Good. Yourself, keep yeah, them well. Really good, Danny. We've got to talk about this Stoke season back in the Premier League. The bookies kind of wrote the team off, didn't they? After promotion from the Championship, they were they were really the favourites to go down, weren't you? Yeah, they they were. I think you know I, I was a little bit late to the party. I came after after a few games actually towards the end of the August transfer window, and you know, like you quite rightly said, there was a, a few bookies already paid out um, that you know they were going to get relegated, but I think what what we did in that season, we actually used that we used that as fuel for us. Uh, we created a, a siege mentality, which I think was important. That you know nobody wanted us in the Premier League. The style of play was obviously well spoken about. The situation with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger that that just gave us, like I say, the extra the extra incentive to make sure that not only did we survive, but had a very good season as well. Danny, I remember the first game of the season. As you say, you were still at Sunderland. You'd pissed off for a year. Yeah. Um, now it sounds strange. <laughs> <laughs> Only to come back though. I know, Only yeah, just for your glorious and, comeback. And, yeah. And, yeah, for the glorious comeback. And my my claim to fame in the promotion year is that the money the money they got for me, they reinvested really well and got the place to get them up. So it was all there was a method behind the map. There you go, Mark. Just behave yourself. And I'm sorry, I really should have warned you before, and I do apologise. But, but yeah, I was at that first game, and it sounds strange saying this now, but Shawcross was bullied that day by Kevin Davis. We got beat well by Bolton, yeah. and even we yeah. were thinking. We're in for a tough season here. What were you thinking, you know, as an ex-Stoke player? What were the lads saying? And then when you joined, what was the mentality? Because I know Tony Pulis used that, you know, the, the Paddy Power thing um, in the dressing yeah. rooms and stuff, didn't they? From my perspective, obviously, I'd worked with Tony before, so I knew what I was coming back to. I knew what the belief would be. The thing is, when you get promoted to the Premier League, I think what a lot of teams do wrong, they go out and spend a ridiculous amount of money, change their style, 
uh, don't get me wrong, you've got to be a little bit more conservative, but I just felt going back to, to Stoke, the players that were there as well, the characters that they had within that dressing room, I just felt that in particular at home, because the home record was, was absolutely phenomenal, I just, I believe that we would be a match for anybody at home. And we had, a, like I say, a specific way of playing, which was simplicity, was genius. And, you know, it really, really worked in our favour. I think genius is the word, really. Cause, and I think when people look back now at this first season of Stoke back in the Premier League and they, they look at how they went about it, what you did, the throw-in that everyone talks about, you know, Delap and the effectiveness of it. I think that's the word. Simple but genius because it worked. And isn't that what matters at the end of the day? Yeah, it, it is. And what, what it did, it, create, it created a huge fear factor. I remember playing against Hull and the ball went back to the goalkeeper and he, like, he, he dallied on the ball. And you're thinking, right, he's just going to put it out for throw. And he turned towards his own goal and put it out for a corner. And a few years later, I've seen him, I've asked him the questions like, you know, well, why did you do that? I said, I didn't, I didn't want to face the throw-in. <laughs> you know, so what happened was, all of a sudden, then you've got, you've got defenders that they will have been told before the game starts, whatever you do, don't give away needless throw-in. So all of a sudden, the ball's coming back to the defender. We're putting pressure on him as a team, especially the attack-minded players. Straight away, they've got to think about what they're doing. Teams are actually fearful of actually giving away throw-ins more than giving away corners. The atmosphere, you know, OK, it was probably 28,000 at the time. I've never played in front of a louder atmosphere in my life. And you would physically see the colour drain from players' faces before the game was, was about to begin. We would go into the dressing room after the games and we'd talk amongst ourselves that we would have hated to have played against Stoke if we were at other teams because it was just a nightmare. The fans and the players, they mirrored each other. you know. And I always think that that is so important. When you go into a football club as a manager, I think you have to understand the area. You have to understand what it, what it stands for. And if you don't understand what it stands for, then you're going to struggle. Yes, we might not win at times. Yes, it might not look pleasing on the eye. But the one thing that could never be that could never be pointed at us was a, was a lack of willpower, a lack of effort. We never left anything on the pitch. It was kind of funny to watch teams like Arsenal struggle to deal with what is essentially a fairly basic facet of the game, which is a throw-in. We were glad that Rory played for us because <laughs> when people talk about Rory and they talk about his long throw, that's fine. It wasn't the distance, it was the trajectory. That's what it was all about. He would throw the ball and it would stay at a constant height, but it was the pace that was on it. You couldn't get your head around how much power was behind the throw-in. So all you had to do was mistime something by a split second and you'd end up putting the ball into your, to your own net. You'd end up not getting to the header because you, you weren't appreciative of how quick the ball was coming in. Well, one team that definitely did struggle to deal with it and one rivalry we've got to speak about, uh, you touched on it earlier, was Arsenal. First game, yeah. beat him 2-1, two of always throw-ins, Oliver Yarn, Chesterton, next one in. Yeah. Um, you said it <laughs> earlier that some sort of teams were beaten in the tunnel. I know... People have spoken about that, about Arsenal in the past. What was it like that first day? What was the attitude like that first day Arsenal against you? And how did that change at the Brit as the years went on? It was a situation where they didn't want to be there, which you can understand. If they won, then everyone's like, yeah, well, you're expected to win. If they get beat, then it turns into a crisis. And we knew with the players that Arsenal had, and this is something that I'll always say, if we'd have gone toe-to-toe in terms of the way they played the game, because let's be honest, you know, during that during that period then and even even before then, some of the football they played was it was it was incredible and it was a joy to watch. And we knew that if we allowed that to happen, 
if we allowed them to get the ball down, if we allowed them to play the way that they wanted to play the game, there was only going to be one winner. Obviously, there was a lot of talk at the time. The pitch was obviously made smaller. We would have certain games where the day before games, we would we would train on the pitch and we would have eight, nine aside down the middle of the pitch. So by the time the Saturday came, you know, when you're playing against these top players, instead of them being able to get the ball, take one touch and pass it off or just pass it off straight away, they weren't able to do that because it was so bobbly through the middle of the pitch because of what we'd done the previous day from having a five, like a six or seven aside on that. The grass was left to grow long, so they couldn't visit around and do what they wanted to do. But what would happen was, was that because we like to use the width more, the wide areas, it was absolutely fine, you know. So so you get the ball to the wingers, you get the ball to the fullbacks and you could put it into the box. And we knew full well because the grass was left to grow long. You know, you're playing those long balls, which we were known which we, which we were known famously for, the ball would hold up on the pitch. So, yes, we had to make sure that we stood up to be counted on the match day, but there was things that we did before the game actually took part just to give you a little bit of uh, an advantage. And it's something that you have to use. And with Arsenal, we knew that we had to be in their faces. We had to make sure that whoever we were marking, the first challenge was a good one to let them know that they were there and that if they were going to beat us, they'd have to out-fight out us first. That season, when you look back on it, when you look at um, achievements of teams that have been promoted, uh, must rank up there, really, for Stoke as one of the most impressive, most uh, effective seasons the team has had. I just wonder, when you are in that situation, people are expecting uh, the worst from a team or for them to go down. They're not expected to do much. Is that siege mentality? Is that they-say-we-can't-do-it attitude? Is that the main motivator, the best thing that can happen to a team in that situation? Oh, yeah. Personally, myself and, and, and the rest of the lads would say the same thing. We loved it. We loved people writing us off because it was like, right, OK, well, everyone's writing us off. No one's expecting us to stay up. So therefore, if we do stay up, it's a huge achievement. But, you know, anybody that was signed at the club at the time and anybody who was part of the team that got promoted from the championship, that we never had any talk of being relegated. Because we knew as a unit, collectively, we were stronger than as individuals. There was no doubt about that. Every time something was said, every time something was written, we used it to our advantage to take us onto that next level. What I would say is that we were, we were, we were a completely different team away from home than what we were at home. There's no doubt I remember about that it. well, the, Danny. The, I, was, I was paying to watch you away that form, season. Yeah, the, 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 the away form was atrocious, but that had a lot to do with the size of the pitches. There's no doubt we, we had the smallest pitch, as far as I can remember, in the Premier League. So we could use it to our advantage. When you went to away grounds, if we were pressing the opposition left back, we'd leave the right back and the right winger free. Now, that's OK when you're, on a, when you're playing at a smaller pitch at the Brit. That's not a problem at all because you can shift across quickly. When you're playing on a big pitch, if they get that out ball to the opposite back and winger, because the pitch is too big to be able to cover the width of the pitch, so that was our big problem away from home. Danny, you've mentioned him a couple of times. All the lads who we do the podcast with think I'm mad talking about him. But tell me, man, be serious now. How good was Ricky Fuller? Ridiculous. So I obviously came from Southampton. And at the time, everybody thought I was crazy, you know, leaving, leaving a club like Southampton, looking like, you know, they, they were going to have a good chance of promotion themselves. Tony met me, took me for a drive around the area and said, you know, we're going to sign X, Y and Z and what have you. We, we're going for it. We believe that we've got an opportunity of going up. So I was like, right, okay, no problem. And then I said to him, I said, you know, what, what, what specific players are you talking about? He said to me, he said, who would you go for, Dexter Blackstock or Ricardo Fuller? And I went, Ricardo, every day of the week. And, you know, Dexter, good young player at the time, but straight away it was Ricardo. I'd seen him firsthand, obviously, as a teammate at Southampton. He was phenomenal. Tony took that on board and, you know, we eventually signed him. 
he had everything and he was probably the most unpredictable player that I've ever played with because you just didn't know what was going to happen. But he could he could create something from absolutely nothing. And and he was one of the lads in the dressing room as well. He was such a good dressing room and everybody, you know, took the Mickey out of out of each other and he was he was right up there as well and he had the worst boxer shorts that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Danny, are you saying then if you hadn't had that conversation with Tony Pulis, then Mark over here <laughs> would sit daydreaming about Dexter Blackstock at work instead of uh, <laughs> instead of Ricardo Fuller and his goals? We will never know, but I've never got credit for that, so I'm making sure <laughs> I get some credit That's for that. That's what this was all about, wasn't it? This is my this was all your opportunity to set the record straight there, Danny. Well, thank you, That's Danny. It. That's it. Um, so nice speaking <laughs> yeah. to you. And, you know, a season that I think the best thing you can say about any team in any season is it's a squad and a, and a team that won't be forgotten. I think that's, a, you know, a lot of Premier League teams get forgotten in season, but that team will not be forgotten, Danny. Go forward 30 years, that team will still be remembered just because I think the achievement of staying in the Premier League, the connection between the players and the supporters and, and the long throws and what have you and things like that. Don't get me wrong, since then you've had your Arnautovic's, your Shakiris, your Boyans and some great teams. You're in Zonzi's great teams, but I just don't feel that any of those teams will be remembered as fondly as the the 0809 and the 0910 team. You're absolutely spot on, Danny. It's a team I'll remember and talk about till the day I die. I am quite sure. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what a dramatic end there, Mark. So, so what was I know. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Metatarsal. All the best and uh, yeah, lovely chatting to you. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, lads. Take care. It is the Broken Metatarsal and we are talking Stoke City. Right, Mark, before we get on to uh, Ricardo Fuller's misdemeanours, mm. I think it's fair to say, with a certain Stoke captain at the time, we want to give you this space and this opportunity to explain to everyone listening and to us here today why you genuinely, and I put that word in because it is genuinely, feel that Ricardo Fuller is the greatest striker of all time. <laughs> well, that was something I said on the unreleased pilot, but <laughs> you know, wasn't meant for you, but as you've brought it up, Rich, yes, I do believe he was the greatest striker of all time. Claim on, it, if you're going to claim it, yeah, claim exactly. it, you know. Honest, didn't, I think exactly what I said at the time was that I saw him do things on a weekly basis that I genuinely believed at the time nobody else in the Premier League could do. And I genuinely believe that. I'm not saying that he was doing it for 90 minutes because, of course, he wasn't. But I saw him do a few things. The turn on Martin Larson, I think it was, in the first game against Villa. There's a goal against West Ham, uh, a goal against Wolves in the promotion season, one against uh, West Brom in the promotion season. Go back and look at some of these goals. There are montages available. And just treat yourself to the genius of the man because he's the only player I've ever seen in my history of watching Stoke, who, if he received his ball, and this is God's honest truth, with his back to goal in his own half, the crowd would get off their feet. That's how good he was, because he had strength, he'd spin, he'd turn, and as soon as he'd turn, you thought, something's going to happen here, and invariably it did. He scored 11 goals that season, which doesn't sound amazing. Definitely but, the best striker the Premier League's ever seen, though. Without a shadow of a doubt, because <laughs> how many of the throw-ins were created by him beating someone down the line and getting a throw in. How many of the corners were created by him doing that? Honestly, just you talk about talisman. He is just, what a player. I cannot speak highly enough about the man. Wow. I, I get this in the office every <laughs> week. I've got to listen to this diatribe. <laughs> would, would, would you have him as the best Stoke striker of the Premier League? Because you had some good strikers. Oh you had my Crouch God, he absolutely pisses really? all over anybody else we've had in the Premier League. I don't care. Oh, now to Shakiri and Zonzi, top players. But in terms of what that man could do with football. To, to talk about Fuller some more which I think you might Yes, might yes please. Uh, <laughs> I think there's generally an underappreciation of how outstanding this level of football is and how good the players can be. They could do unbelievable things that you, you wouldn't assume you could ever see in, in a team that isn't top of the table. The difference is, it's the consistency. Yeah. 
there's some players in there who are world beaters for two, three, four, maybe five games a season. But it's when you get to doing 20 games a season, 25, 30, the whole lot like Ronaldo or Messi. That's all it is. It's just mental. It's just consistency. Because I, I agree with you. Fuller, for me, isn't anywhere near the top 20 Premier League strikers. But Top 30? <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> but on his day, and this is the crucial thing, we always say on his day, on his day, unplayable. But there weren't enough of those days. One thing I particularly love in football generally is when uh, two teammates square up. Uh, I think that's a, a beautiful thing to see in football. It doesn't happen that often, but it really does show uh, a disintegration of a team. Are you, are you doing a Bowyer and Dyer? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Bowyer and Dyer, that kind of thing. Um, are you doing uh, one of those podcasts? No, maybe we should. We should. Maybe we should, we should do, do one on, on the this football fights, which football we have fight. written about on, on the site. <laughs> okay, all right. That's that's a, make a note. Someone make a note. That's good. Good job I came in it. Exactly. <laughs> you can come and join us back for that one. But Ricardo Fuller was at the centre of one of those, wasn't he? He was. And the thing about Fuller is, as a fan, you don't really care if. Someone's a bit of a shit, which he was. <laughs> and, you know, he was so good that sometimes he's like, I don't want to really run for that, so I'm not going to. I'm just going to stand the off. That's all right, it's fuller. And I think Pulis had that same mentality towards him. He was so good that he got away with murder, really. Now, slapping your captain on the pitch after conceding a goal probably should get you into trouble. But actually, it was the captain, I think, who got dropped in the end because Fuller was just that good that he got away with it. Was, but, yeah. was, was he sent off for that, though? He was, he was sent It was off. away at West Ham, wasn't it? Away at West Ham, lost two. It was in an awful period for us in December where I think, I don't think we won a game that December. Um, and then, yeah, you, your best player's getting sent off for slapping your captain. You're thinking, we might be in a little bit of trouble here. Spot of bother. <laughs> yeah, spot of bother here. But yeah, it, <laughs> again, I'd go back to the, the, the sort of humorous and the fun factor. It's, you can't write that, can you? You just cannot write that. Your star striker getting sent off a slap, and it was a slap. Yeah, he went That's ex exactly what it was, a, a bitch slap, let's quote. Can we say that? Probably not. It was a slap. <laughs> <laughs> a proper slap, open-palmed slap in the face um, because he felt that Griffin was at fault for the goal. So he, he slapped him. Slap him. Yeah. Why not slap him? Why not? He was at fault for the goal. Well, afterwards, <laughs> he, he was asked about it, and I can't, I can't think of the quote now, but he said something like, well... I shouldn't have done it, but he was quite disrespectful. So, you know I mean? Like when you get in trouble at school. Well, yeah, I, I did do it, but... Yeah. It's it's the thing. It's the coming together of the two players. It's really premeditated. Yeah. So they're actually quite far away from each other on the pitch, and you see them walking towards you. You're like, oh, is is he's not going to? Is it? Are they going? They're having words. What's going to happen here? And then boom, contact. Yes. <laughs> there you go. It's like Lasso and Batty all over again, isn't it? For yeah, Blackburn that's and, and you know, that's the classic. It's uh, it's lived up to that almost. But it's not just uh, Fuller getting physical. Tony Pulis as well got a little bit physical. This Absolutely. is one of the best stories of the of the, of the noughties. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I, what I really like about that Stoke team is that from what you hear years down the line, stuff was going on in the dressing room all the time. I think Glenn Whelan got into a row with Abdi Fai, who was a bloody big fella, um, because he was wearing flip-flops in the dressing room and he just decided, that's not on. I'm not having that today. <laughs> You're taking a piss a little bit. So they got into a ruckus. But yeah, the, the ultimate one, it was after an away game at Chelsea uh, in the December of the next year. And, of course, they were down in London, so all the lads had, had arranged a Christmas night out, as you do, but beaten quite easily. Pulis, not a happy man, says, no, you're not going out tonight, lads. That wasn't good enough. James Beattie, who does strike me as a man who likes a pint, I haven't seen him around Liverpool at, at various I haven't seen points. him out in Leeds as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's canon now, he likes a pint. Um, yeah, <laughs> took exception to that and, and had a go back. Now, Pulis is not a man you want to mess with. In my minimal dealings with him over the years, I've discovered that. Um, but mess with him, he did. And 
of course, this took place in the shower room. Mm. Now, <laughs> in shower rooms, people tend to have no clothes on. And that is exactly what happened here. Tony Pierce, not in his cap, unfortunately, um, but he did, I believe, start in a towel. That dropped. Tony Pulis stuck the nut on James Beatty, completely stark, raving, bollock, naked. So were they both naked? I don't actually know if it's ever been. I don't think BT was. I think let's assume he was in some some little towel like uh, Starskin Hutch. This is in, in, in your dream. This is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we talk about BT now because I can. If you if you want. <laughs> it's funny. He's a really bright bloke, James BT. He was um, doing medicine, medical degree or something. He's, like he's that. one of those, isn't that a football boffin because mm. he's got an A level or something? Right. Okay. Okay. Maybe I've read too much into it. <laughs> most disappointing thing about that whole story is that Tony Pulis doesn't wear a cap for the shower. That is the most. Disappointing you know what? So I mentioned that I. Used also, that would have been a much more potentially dangerous to yeah. the eye's headbutt as well, straight in with the peak of the cap. I've said that, Pulis's caps were, were not the deep fit ones. They were the sort of small, perched on your head sort of style cap. Do you know the ones I well, mean? Well, I'm going to sort of break the illusion of Tony Pulis's caps there. Oh, because, oh, oh, okay. oh, oh dangerous. He's, if he's listening, he's not going to be happy. But, you know, everyone just assumed that he was in a cap all of the time. That first season, when he used to go to the press conferences, he would come in capless. And then, of course, he would... He got to a stage when everyone's talking about to the cap to such an extent that he got a sponsorship. I think I won't mention the brand. So he would come in without a cap and then, oh, I'm doing the TV interviews now, lads. Put the cap on. Oh, you've ruined it. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the press. No cameras in the shower room, caps off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the people can't see. Was he standing up for the press conferences at this stage as well? He was, yeah. Well, <laughs> back in those days, it was like first season in the Premier League, so there wasn't you know a, a media room as such. And he just used to bowl in and... He'd find the local journalist and say, what's this you've had on the back page? I don't like that. And he'd, he'd have a little word to them. Then he'd go over and say, right, what are we doing? He would dictate the whole thing, which you can probably imagine. But yeah, all without a cap. How do we sum up the the Stoke um, early Premier League era? So the back, the back end of the noughties. Is, is their legacy the fact that people still say, can they do it at Stoke on a wet, windy Tuesday night? Is that is that their legacy? It probably um, They definitely can. Everyone can nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, Lionel Messi, I think, at one stage was asked about doing it at Stoke on a cold, wet and when. That is unthinkable. That is the, the impact we had on world football. I generally believe outside the top five, probably maybe six, we were the most spoken about club, you know, in the Premier League that season and around the world. Just a phenomenal legacy. It was Messi's reply, bloody arm, no Ricardo Fuller. <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a struggle. And from from a non-Stoke perspective, how do you look back on that as Great to have them in there doing what they did and just ruffle things up a little bit. I, th- I think, you know, I do like to poke fun at Mark, but they are one of the cult teams of the noughties, I think, definitely. And like I say, you see teams just obsessed with trying to play nice football, and even if they're not suited to it at all, where Stoke came, they ruffled some feathers. And there's nothing better in football than when you're a fan of a team that has that siege mentality and has, you know, reeled in some of the big boys and really annoyed them. It's, it's just the perfect feeling as a fan, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that playing to your strengths is... I don't even understand why you wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. it's, just, it's just mad. I mean, I'm a Derby fan. I'm not man like Stoke because we're not that far away, but I have nothing but sort of grudging respect for them from that from that period. Uh, now it's easy to sort of look at them and laugh, laugh, laugh. a bit more. Yeah, <laughs> but back then it was. I think we swapped over. I think we went down and you went up, and yeah. we, we missed each other. But uh, they were fun. You were right. It, 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 it was fun, never boring. It was never a boring yeah. week with Stoke. Are you happy now? I am. We've done it now. <laughs> right. 
let's do a bit of football fact, football fiction. Here's how it's going to work. Uh, Mark, Mark and Rob uh, both have a statement uh, based on today's theme. Only one of them is a footballing fact. The other two are totally made up. They haven't seen them yet. So um, let's see if you and I can work out the footballing fact from the footballing fiction. And we will start, because it's his little baby, uh, with Holmesy over there. Go on, Mark, what you got? Okay, so we mentioned uh, the Stoke Arsenal rivalry. They had the dartboard in the uh, in the training ground, and in the weeks leading up to the uh, to the Arsenal games, Matty Edmonton <laughs> revealed this a couple of years ago. Said that the Pulis just one day stuck a picture of Wenger on the dartboard, and then all the players were just chucking darts at it all week, and then he did it every single season and every game when he was there. I really hope that's true. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. Uh, Mark, what you got for us? Mine says this: It says Rory Delap was told not to practice his throw-ins with teammates. As he once threw it so far, he bust <laughs> Amdi Faye's nose. Really? Yeah. So don't practice, Rory, because uh, of what <laughs> happened the other day. You're too bloody good. You're good enough. At it. You've, you've got it nailed on. Just save it for it. Sometimes <laughs> you can over-practice something, can't you? Get to the dartboard instead and throw a few bullseyes at but, the but, but like we said, I mean, the, the velocity he threw it at, I mean, that's absolutely believable. There's actually so rugby, flat and so hard. There's a rugby team where the coach has told them not to practice drop goals because he's seen a player get knocked out by getting hit by a straight drop goal. And you're thinking this could be a similar and situation? I mean, Stoke and rugby go hand in hand. Apparently. Oh, we go. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you devised that. That was quite sneaky the way you got that one in. All right, Rob, what have you got? So, uh, you know, a lot of Tony Pulis chat. So Tony Pulis has a song about him. Uh, it was made by the Welsh band Goldie Looking Chain and it's titled simply Tony Pulis. So you'll be aware of their hits. Um, Guns don't kill people, rappers do. Yeah. Your mother's got a penis. Yeah. And then, you know, their third biggest hit. Were you still listing songs then? That's a different podcast. Right. Okay. So, Rob, let me ask you the question. Why would they be. Are they Stoke fans from Wales? They're massive Welsh football fans. And Pulis is Welsh, I believe. Does It doesn't really sound it, though, does it? I actually did not know that. He is, yeah. He's a secret Welshman. And yeah, they just love him so much, they decided to write a. Write a song about him. I suppose the way people say Brian Clough is the greatest manager England never had, I guess Tony Pulis is the greatest manager Wales never had. And the song was just called Tony Pulis. Where did it chart? I don't have that information. I suspect not very highly. No, I suspect but, not uh, very highly either. <laughs> uh, do you know how it went? Could you give us a slight rendition? You must have heard it. I'm you not, must have uh, heard it. I'm not maggot, so I can't do it. <laughs> okay, um, and with the, the non-practicing of the throw-ins, how bad was the injury to uh, to find? Well, from what I've read, it really it busted it wide open. I mean... This is a this is a hard player. This is a hard man you're talking about, and yet he's taken a ball full in the face and Rory Delap. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna do some damage, isn't it? Didn't lose any game time for it because I'd imagine just patch it up. You're, yeah. st- you're Stoke yeah. players. Con- con- get on with it. Concussion rules weren't the same. Were they? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, get him in the tent. In- injuries didn't really apply in those days. Just, just play. It'll be fine. No, and so he, he got on with it. He pulled his socks up and, and was back on the field the next game. And the darts board um, with Arsene Wenger on, was that was it a picture of him in the dugout that day when he wouldn't come out to, to face the Stoke fans? Do you know what it was? Or So I think it was, so the first game when we ever played Arsenal, there was no bad blood leading up to it, you know, Wenger saying nothing but nice things. And of course we beat them and then it starts. So I think it was building up to the away game, which we actually lost, so it didn't work. But the away game of that first season, um, not too sure of what the photo was. I don't think it's ever been uh, been photographed uh, by any of the players. But yeah, on the dartboard leading up to that first game of the uh, the end of the first season. And then for the remainder of the time that Pulis was I did it every year and obviously didn't work out too badly for us. On the basis that if I say that Mark's right, I've got a 66.66 recurring chance of getting it getting it correct. I'm going to say Mark got it right without saying which one. No, I will say which one. I'm going to say it is... I'm going to say it's the darts board. 
You're wrong. Oh, no. It's not Goldie Looking Chain. I don't believe that for it a minute. It is Goldie Looking Chain. Oh, come, uh, we'll have to have an outro. Tony Pulis, <laughs> one Oliver bloke. Tony Pulis, he manages Stoke. <laughs> that was a live performance from Goldie Looking Chain. Uh, joining us in the studio, thanks for doing that on Live Linker. Wow. Yeah. That's... They're both from Newport in Wales, so he's a bit of a cult hero oh, yeah. in, in, uh, in Newport. And Yeah. And that is that is really a fitting way to wrap up uh, our podcast here on Stoke. Remember, uh, this episode was brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk. Use the code TBMINDEX to trade with a £500 money-back guarantee. New customers only, 18+. Plus. And if you subscribe, then the next one will drop straight into your podcast, podcast provider. Uh, please do rate. We'd be very, very grateful. And people have left really lovely messages uh, for which we are super grateful of as well Mark Holmes the best hour of your life <laughs> apart from 2008 yeah Just... <laughs> <Okay>. since then <laughs> since then uh, Mark thank you also so much for joining us best hour of my life as well <laughs> uh, Rob cheers mate this is the same every week so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a normal day <laughs> uh, join us next time on the Broken Metatarsal <laughs>